Well, alrighty, gang. Welcome back to the Active Self-Protection Podcast. I am once again your host, Mike Williver, and I remain your favorite former Fed with us today. A new friend of mine, his name is Fernando. Fernando comes from come to us from Miami, Florida, and he is the owner-operator of a luxury car rental place. So he rents really high-end, exciting cars, stuff I can't afford. Uh, I'm sure. Do, do you have Panameras? I need to ask that first and foremost. Do you have a Panamera that I could rent if I come to Miami? I have a Turbo S for you. Very good. That'll work. Uh, no, nothing, nothing electric, please. I only want. I, I, only, I only deal with uh, with uh, petrol powered cars. So uh, first that's, of all, that's the same here in the in our policies. The same. Very good. How are you, sir? Thank you for uh, reaching out. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I'm great, by the way. How are you? I'm good. So you know, I I don't usually like to have a long conversation with a guest before we hit the record button, but I kind of had to because I've had a lot of guests lately and. A lot of the <laughs> stories have sort of been conflated in my head, but Fernando and I spoke for a few minutes before we hit the record button, and his story is very interesting and very nuanced and different than any other story we've had on, so I think it's going to be an excellent episode. Um, so before we begin, you mentioned in our sort of pre-interview, you mentioned that you um, ended up getting a firearm and a permit around the pandemic time. Is that accurate? Correct. Yeah. And what was it about that period of time in particular that made you feel like it was a good time for you to go out and do that or something you needed to do? I think it was times of uncertainty, a lot of why, what, what is this, why, what's going to happen. And I decided to be a little bit more prepared just in case something could happen. Um, I come from a background where, um, from South America, where my dad and and I, we had to, he, he had to leave his country because of a dictator and we had to do the same thing. So when things go wrong, uh, in general, uh, with the situation economically and in, in, in the country, uh, I think more situations get dangerous and people go out there and they start doing bad things. So uh, there was times where I didn't really like what was going on and things that could happen. So I decided to to use my right. Uh, uh, I think uh, that was a lot of, I had to do with it. The fact that I, ha- I have the right to do it, why I don't use the right if mm-hmm. I have the right. Uh, is there for a reason I spoke with my wife to see what she thinks about it, the way I would use it or what for and how we were going to take care of all the situation. And and that's when I decided to do it. I started with a P365. I did my little research. I thought that was it. They told me that was a great uh, concealed weapon. And I did my little research and I agree with most of the advices. Um, I then made the mistake to change the frame to make it a little bit more comfortable to my hand. Okay. But I think I want to go back to the original so it's smaller for carrying. Um, but yeah, that's how I started with my first gun. Yeah, one of the interesting things about what you just said is that one of the things that no one sort of tells you if you're new to firearms um, and you're considering getting a carry gun is that there is a balance that has to be struck between usability of the gun and uh, you know comfortability or the ability to carry it comfortably um because if you get a you know my first carry gun with the feds was a beretta 96 
It's basically the M9. It's a huge 40 cal gun. And they somehow they only managed to get 11 rounds in the magazine of that gun. I don't know how they did it. It was I'm almost impressed with how few rounds it, it carried, considering how big it was. But that that portability versus um, usability is important. It's something that you, you have to consider. So the 365, um, I want to say that that's the compact SIG, right? Because I, I think that was kind yeah. of that was our backup gun when I just when I left the feds, we started carrying the P320s, which was a fine gun. I think the 365 was a was a compact backup, so you can get more than one frame for that. You could switch out the frame or the to get a bigger or smaller grip. Correct. So I think the original gave me. 10 plus one for the magazine. And when I changed the frame, that's the reason why I did it too. Um, I don't consider myself, I've never been to the test. I've, I don't consider myself a shooter. I consider myself somebody that owns a gun, try to be responsible with it. And I do train once in a blue moon. I go with my friend that is knowledgeable about guns mm-hmm. to the range and I practice but so i wanted to see i i thought that maybe i needed more rounds and by changing the frame i put the 15 magazine 15 round magazine i mean five rounds is not nothing you know it makes a difference if if god forbid you need it you know john will john will tell people you never know yeah i mean john will tell people in his classes you he's never seen a private citizen do a reload right during a gunfight he's never seen it in all the thousands and tens of thousands of, of videos he's analyzed and he said you know doesn't the magazine capacity matters in as much as you know you're probably going to use every round in the gun in a private citizen encounter is more better i don't know i i would encourage everyone to avail themselves of as much training as they possibly can uh when they carry a firearm but i mean not not but i'm also sympathetic to the fact that people have lives to live businesses to run families to raise and so not everybody can be out training every single weekend or, or you know what I mean? That, that's not, it's just not practical. But with that said, um, we also discussed this before we started. So do you normally carry on your body? I know you mentioned you had a sort of off body carry, like a bag or something you were using when the incident happened. Yes. Is that how you always carry it? Correct. So I always carry it in a little bag that is a crossbody, mm-hmm. and it kind of hangs basically by my waist. If I do need access to it, it will be almost like if I would carry it on my waist, on my belt, in that in that position, let's say. Um, sometimes I have it open and ready to go. It's really, I've, I've practiced at home, of course, with an unloaded gun, kind of like the dynamic or how it would be. Mm-hmm. I know it's no ideal. Um but it's not the most comfortable thing to do for me, at least. And sometimes you don't have the right clothing to hide it. And you don't, even though it's something that you can do, just people can think that you have a weapon there as long as you have a cover. But sometimes the way I dress doesn't, it just doesn't look right. So that's why I tend to use this, uh, this bag. Um, sometimes I have it open, sometimes I have it closed. So I'm going to, I'm going to reach out to my friends at Filster. Filster is a holster company that's affiliated with active self-protection and they have a holster called the Enigma. Have you heard of this? It's basically, it it is a Kydex holster and it's on its own sort of uh, nylon strap that goes around your waist like a belt and it goes underneath whatever you're wearing and it doesn't matter what you're wearing. You'd be wearing 
you know, sweatpants, bathing suit, almost anything. And it is completely independent of your clothing. So it doesn't rely on, you know, the belt or belt loops or whatever. So um, when we're done here, remind me, I'll give you their info and you can reach out to them and, and maybe consider it. Because I would encourage everyone to to do their best to carry their gun if they can on their person. I think it's better. I prefer it. But I'm not an absolutist. And I don't like many people in the gun world who who get who learn a thing that they think is the end all be all and they don't have any sort of mental wiggle room at all for anyone else's opinion on anything. So I, I don't think there's an absolute perfect way to carry, but I would prefer to see people have it on their person, preferably in the same place every time they carry so that it's accessible, so that they can practice their draw, so that they can have that quick draw to first shot that you just can't get. And I know because I, I we talked about this too. I occasionally I carry in a bag that's off my body and John makes fun of me and Neil makes fun of me, but that's okay. Um, it's something that I do, but I'm trying to get away from that because I know as well as anyone that it's, it's not ideal. Anyway, enough about that. Um, so we've, we've pretty much talked about your self-defense history then in a, in a nutshell. So the, the story that you have to tell involves your business. It involves somebody returning a rental car. You're the second guy, by the way, uh, who was at a rental car return when he had a, a, a life and death encounter. So you're in good company. The first guy, they weren't even returning a car. He was just at his rental car return and they showed up and wanted a ride. And he said no. And they pulled a gun on him. But anyway, um, I digress. Uh, that was a good episode. So you were at work. Um, I assume you were anticipating this person returning a car. It was a very expensive car. So tell us real quick, what kind of car was it that he was returning and about how much was it worth to give people an idea? Um, it's a Cadillac Escalade worth about $100,000. And yes, I was expecting him. And to be honest with you, I was expecting him to be this kind of person, to be honest with you. A I, jerk. Be, because of the way the whole rent had developed. And I told you the group that he was in with friends had rented another car and they had had some issues with it. And I, I, I don't want to tell you I was expecting this exactly, but I was. I would tell you that I was. I, I had my guard up. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, that's you wouldn't be a good business owner if you didn't have some sense of how to read people. Um, and you know, I, I totally understand what you mean. You can kind of see it coming with certain people. They just give themselves away as being a jerk before they ever open their mouths, they don't even have to interact with them. So you had some experience with these folks. So he comes in, brings the car in. Um, what kind of condition is the car in the same condition he, he rented it in or is it any damage or anything? So he was, he had obviously smoked weed in it and he had had it car washed, but the car wash, of course, is not going to hide the fact that you smoke weed for seven days inside the car. No amount of new car scent is going to cover the dankness of the weed. Yeah. But you, yeah. It's in the uh -huh. headliner. It's everywhere. So we everything else about the car was perfect, and I didn't check the miles at that time. I just took a picture of the dashboard, mm -hmm. and we discussed about the smell. He agreed that he had smoked, and he agreed he agreed that he had to pay a fee for smoking. And at that time, I made the mistake not to ask for the keys of the car, but I just invited him inside my office to go over everything. I was going to analyze the miles, see the gas level, and determine how much deposit I had to return to him. So the idea is... him inside the office. Yeah, so the idea is if he if he went over the miles, if he smoked in it, if there was damage or whatever, you would calculate how much of the deposit 
to keep to cover those things and how much to give back. So by the time you had read the mileage and were aware of the smoke, you know, the smoke damage inside the car, how much of his deposit, first of all, how much was the deposit and how much was he getting back after you figured it out? The deposit was a thousand dollars. He had already agreed to the smoking fee. My fee is two fifty. Mm-hmm. He didn't know that. He thought the smoking fee was a hundred. But anyways, so there was seven hundred fifty in my mind left for him of his deposit, and the total cost of the extra mileage was about thirteen thirteen hundred. Whoa! How many miles are we so, talking about? How how far over did he go? Oh my God! I'm I'm talking about he put about two thousand miles in a week. Oh boy! Of using the car. Wow. Okay. So, so he's not only and not he getting his like deposit thousand, back, but he owes you which money. Is, sorry. So he's not only not getting his deposit back; he actually owes you money still. I mean, technically, exactly. Yeah. Technically correct. Yeah. So, uh, I assume at some point he comes into your office. Kind of walk us through what happens at that point. Once you tell him, "Hey, you're not getting your deposit back," he didn't take it well. I was sitting in my desk. He was sitting across the office. I don't have a big office. It's a small office. He was sitting in the sofa. And I showed him the calculator of the extra mileage charge times the amount of mileage that he went over. And I was telling him that not even the deposit can cover this this fee. And he stood up and he started having this uh how should we call it uh i don't want to say aggressive right off the bat but very arrogant attitude about wanting to get his deposit back Mm -hmm. and not caring about the fact that he went over the miles and that he just wanted his deposit back so he got close to me close to a point that i had to stand up um i don't remember if i stand up at that moment he got close to me and I, I kept it really cool, really, I kept it really down. Mm-hmm. And at that moment, I told him, no, you, you're not getting your deposit back. You, you have to pay this amount of money and you don't even have enough to cover the whole fee. And at this time, he said, you know what? I'm, I'm, you're not giving me the money. I'm not giving you your car. And since I didn't, give asking for the key he was about to leave i tell him to come back to to not to do it before he leaves the office and in that moment that's when he pulls the gun out he had it in his pocket he was wearing sweatpants um it was a um, khaki gun i remember it was not regular black it was uh, one of those khaki um weapons yeah the cool guys call that coyote tan by the way or flat dark cool. earth anyway moving awesome. on awesome yeah. Pardon my 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 I'm I'm not a weapon guy. Yeah. It looks right. really cool though. It looks really, really nice. So he pulls it out and at the same time that he pulls it out, he looks at me, he tells me, You're giving me my money, my my deposit. He didn't point it at me, he just had it there, kinda like pointing down, and he thought the money was in my bag. At this time, again, I made the mistake of leaving my bag on the top of on top of my desk the bag that contains your firearm the bag the bag that contains my firearm okay why i did that i was relaxed i i ha- i thought that i had de-escalate the situation with this guy mm-hmm. before everything happened of course 
I walked him into the office. I offered him coffee. I, I, I thought everything was cool, which I consider that a mistake. You can never put your guard down with a person unless it's your, I guess, family member or somebody you already know, trust, and have done some... You understand what I'm saying? No, absolutely. And this guy, he so he'd I, already demonstrated to you, or you got the impression he was right. not a good person. Like, not, you know, you. I, I guess you had it in your head, at least, that there's a possibility that he's going to try to intimidate you or, or do something generally sort of criminal-ish. Am I right? Correct. Yeah. Absolutely. So um, that's why I consider this a bigger of a mistake, because I already knew something bad could happen. So why would I put my guard down? Right. Just because I think he's cool. No, because we he did apologize at the beginning after he kind of like came in a bad mood with me. He he stopped he softened down after that, and he he treated me well. He's like, oh, it's okay, boss man. Next time I'm in town, we're gonna run from you again. Blah 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 mm -hmm. blah blah. After I tell him all of these, he gets upset. He walks up to me. Uh, he pulls the gun. He tells me, give me my money back. Um. At that moment, I'm thinking, like, what the hell is happening? Like, what do I do? Uh, I don't have my gun on me. I don't have my bag that contains the gun on me. Mm -hmm. um, is my life at risk? Everything happened, like, in a second. Mm -hmm. And at that moment, he grabs my bag that contains my weapon with his hand holding the gun. When he does that, I, I'm thinking he thinks he knows I, I have a gun and he wants to disarm me. But in reality, he thinks the money is there in that bag, in that bag. OK, so I tell I tell to myself, I, I, I cannot let this guy take this bag because my, my weapon is there mm -hmm. and I cannot be. I cannot defend myself if, if he takes it. So I fight, I get it back, I put it on. And I leave it kind of like in the position where I feel comfortable drawing my weapon and I leave the zipper open. Mm -hmm. Then he tries to grab a folder that does contain the money. And he tries to grab it. I don't remember with which hand at this moment. And I don't remember. Everything happened so fast. I have to watch the video again. At that time, he he pulls the gun away. So he had it out for a few seconds he intimidated me and then he tried to grab the bag with it mm -hmm. i think when he noticed that was not really smart to try to grab things with your hand holding a weapon right. he kind of like put it away and he 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 got upset he got close to me and he's like you're gonna give me my money and i told him that's not gonna happen and he told me you're not giving me my money you are not getting your car back. So since I had made the mistake, he really walked out of the office with a key and he tried to get into the car. Okay. Um, at that moment, that's when I also realized, realized really fast that he had just pulled a gun on me, that I had to do something about the situation because it was already dangerous. Mm -hmm. So I call him up and I tell him, don't take my car. I'm going to give you your deposit back. 
uh, that's what you want, you're going to get it. Even though you owe me money, but I'm going to give you your deposit back. So when I give him the deposit back, I give him $750, deducting the smoking fee that he had agreed on. When he counts the money, he thinks that the smoking fee should be 100 only, and he asked me for the rest of just, the money. Just based on what? I mean, just <laughs> he feels like $100 is enough? I mean, getting getting any smoke out of a car is expensive, but it's just funny to me that he would then quibble about the 150 bucks after all you've already been through in this scenario. It's funny, Mike. Um, I You will tell me, how can somebody smoke in your car? But even good clients, I consider them good because they treat your your car good. They rent from you a lot. Mm-hmm. And they're responsible for their damages. Even good clients would smoke in your car. And I'm going to tell you because I run this business. But they accept the fee. They right. accept the fact. They come and they tell me, listen. I'm renting a car, I'm in Miami, and I want to have fun. I want to enjoy Miami, smoking my Habano, my cigarette, my whatever. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to pay you the fee, and I'm sorry for it. I'm telling you in advance. And I respect that, you know? But the fact that this guy was, like, not wanting to pay the extra miles, which at the end of the journey... The depreciation of the car, it's based on condition and miles. Yep. So I'm very picky about miles. I actually, I don't let the cars be driven by employees just because I don't use the most expensive cars in my fleet. I use something regular to prevent the extra use of miles. Mm-hmm. So when the client abuses of a car, it's not that you went over 50 miles. Okay, it's okay. You abused of my car. You smoked in it like if you were uh, the last day of the last 420 in your life. Right. So I have to make myself respect my company, respect. The car has to be respected. That's the way I bring income into my house. Mm -hmm. So I get upset at that. Of course, it's money. It's nothing. But like I told you in the beginning, I never felt that my life was at risk. However, I do feel that it was a dangerous situation. It could have ended a little bit worse than the way it ended. So I told him, no, the fee is 250. And he's like, no, it has to be 100. No, it's 250. Bro, he gets upset. He tells the other car that is his ride that was waiting for him all this moment, came with him together, both cars. So. He dropped off my car. He was going to take out in that car. Tells him, get in the driver's seat. I'm taking this car. So, again, he was going to take the car because I wouldn't give him the $150 back. Wow. He gets aggressive. Uh, you can see it in the video. He gets towards me. I try to free my hands. He gets, what? What are you going to do now? What are you going to do? I'm not doing anything. I'm charging you my fee. Respect my business, blah, blah, blah. And at that moment... Like he was not gonna leave there without one fifty or doing some damage to my car mm-hmm. or taking my car or whatever, and it was probably gonna be the hundred and fifty dollars that I was gonna give, to be honest with you, and end the story there and call it a day. Call that cutting your losses, yeah. Call my losses, sure. And at that moment, a police car passes by. Hmm. I remember a Hallandale police officer passes by. I wave at him. He waves at me, thinking I'm saying hello. 
this is in the middle of the street that I'm having this confrontation between the driveway of my warehouse and the, the street. The escalate is part, basically using a little bit of the street and the sidewalk and the car, the, the, the police officer passes in front of my warehouse. Mm-hmm. I say hello to him. He says hello to me. And I tell him, stop. And he finally stops. But a little bit, I will tell you maybe 20, 30 feet, 30 feet past my warehouse, something like that. Sure. Um, and he gets down the car and he sees both of us. And this guy goes, the, the, the client or whatever. Um, he stole the hundred and fifty dollars from me. He doesn't want to give me it's my money. I let him talk, and then the police officer looks at me and I go, He just pulled a gun inside my office and trying to charge him for a smoking fee, and he wants to be charged a hundred when the fee is two fifty. When I tell him that he counters ca- counters my, my my story with some BS, the other guy, mm-hmm. and at that exact moment. The police officer says, hold on a minute. And he goes to his car to put his bulletproof vest. Oh, man. When he turns around and to go to put his bulletproof vest, the, the client turns around, gets in the car, the right that, he was, that, that, that was waiting for him, and takes off. I see all of these. I take a few steps back. And I'm waiting to see what's going to happen. And he takes off. The police officer puts his uh, vest, realizes it. And I tell him, listen, he just pulled a gun on me. Um, I'm not going to like, I don't want him. To, I don't want you to go after the guy because I'm not going to press charges like, oh, look, go after him, you know. Right. But come and help me figure this out because what you just happened to me is kind of harsh. And he he was kind of annoyed at the beginning because he thought it was kind of like a civil matter. Mm-hmm. Two guys arguing for $150. But then I explained to him that this guy was in, just inside my office and he put a gun on me, tried to intimidate me to get his deposit back when he owed me money. And that I have a gun, that I have a permit, and that I could have used that gun to defend myself, but I decided not to. For whatever reason I have, and I'm trying to de-escalate the situation, and he's not helping me with that attitude. I told him like that. I told him, you understand? I'm not. I mean, I'm not trying to bother you, because honestly, I didn't like his attitude. He he had a a really bad attitude. So he kind of understood me. Then he gave me advice to to not to en- engage with him if I would see him again with the with a client, just to call nine one one, and and that's it. I that's it. I, uh, the day I locked the day I locked the warehouse, I informed uh, uh, one of my guys that worked with me about the situation, so he could be aware he was gonna be in the warehouse later that night, so he can be heads up. In or, case this guy comes back or whatever. In case this guy come back, right. uh, it was an infinity, great infinity that he was driving. So, so that's where everything ended, and. Uh, I think I'm happy with the outcome, even though I see a lot of potential to learn from the mistakes that I made. But I'm 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 happy with the outcome. I speak with uh, gun owners 
different gun owners. I have different gun owners. I have gun owners that are a little bit more conservative than others. I have others that are a little bit more firm in the way you have to use the weapon. And they tell me I would have gotten my weapon because I have it in my waist and that would have been the end of it. If, um, if there's one thing that YouTube has taught me and John and Neil and Steph and everyone else who's ever put out content on YouTube is there is a large contingent of people out in the world who love to tell you what they would have done had they been in the situation that you were actually in, even though they've never been in that situation in real life. Um, they, they feel perfectly comfortable to explain to you what it is they would have done and how it would have ended up, which is amazing to me since they weren't there in the first place and they really have no idea what would have happened because they can't predict his reaction. Um, but let, let's, let's real quick transition to, to lessons. And I know this wasn't easy for you to write in because some of the stuff is like, you know, people are going to be like, wow, I, you know, don't carry it in a, a bag off your body. Don't leave it on your desk and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, part of our mission at active self-protection is to not like not gun shame people and not ridicule people for decisions they made. You made the best decisions and the best preparations based on what you knew. And that's, this is how it ended up. Thank God it ended up with you walking away with no extra holes in your body. No, you know, or God forbid any charges against you. If you'd have done something overboard. And I, I especially want to address two things. One is the off body carry. And I don't want to beat the dead horse, but you know, I'd prefer to see everybody carry it on their body, at least somewhere attached to them or in the Enigma holster, like we talked about. Um, that notwithstanding, nobody can can say what they would have felt uh, being in that room. You were in that room with that individual who I assume was a big dude, probably a little intimidating looking, who probably most of his life has solved problems by intimidating people or threatening violence or committing violence or whatever. That's how he like, whereas if I had to come back and you just said, Hey, you don't get your deposit back because there's too many miles. I would have been like, well, okay, let's look at, you know what I mean? Like a rational response would be, well, let me look at the contract. I don't remember you telling me that, or let me read the mileage again. Maybe we got that wrong or whatever. There's a million ways to deal with it. But knowing that I had, violated the terms of the contract a by smoking in it and b by going 2000 miles over over the agreed upon Ooh. mileage Ooh. limit I, it wouldn't have occurred to me to get in your face and say no give me my money back just because i don't know because i'm special and the rules don't apply to me but that mindset is is a large part of the problem with generally i touch like an old man yelling at clouds but it is the problem with our society is that i think a lot of people think that the rules don't apply to them you know yeah i signed a contract yeah, I, I knew before I smoked in the car I wasn't supposed to. Yeah, I knew when I drove to evidently Dallas and back, um, I knew that I wasn't supposed to use that many miles or I'd be charged. And now my response is to get in his face and draw a gun. My larger point being, nobody's in that room with you to say how they would have felt or what sense they would have gotten from this guy when he pulled a gun out of his pocket. You You tell me you never felt in any moment like he was actually going to pull that, you know, turn that gun on you and pull the trigger. He never aimed it at you. Um, and then once that gun is out, which you weren't anticipating it happening, even if you'd have been carrying on your person, even if you were, you know, even if you had been carrying perfectly, you know, appendix and you had practiced your draw every night and you had a 0.8 second draw to first shot. The fact is you're, you, no matter how you're drawing at that point, you're drawing from the drop. This guy has a drop on you. His gun is out. Um, so, I think the the lesson here is um, 
more than anything is, is, is my father used to say, discretion is the better part of valor. And what I mean by that is choosing your battles and choosing your moves. And I think the move that you chose was like, I don't think this guy means it. I don't think he's actually going to pull the trigger. So I'm not just going to throw my hands up and go, okay, sorry. Yeah, you can go now. No trouble. Um, uh, you, you made the decision to stand up for yourself and to say that, you know, no, you're not taking all my money. Um, this was an agreed upon thing and you, you're not going to intimidate me and you're not going to intimidate me by standing too close or by pulling a gun. This is how it's going to go. And in the, in the end, it turns out you were right. It turns out he wasn't really going to punch you in the face. He wasn't really going to pull the trigger. So maybe you did know, maybe you did get a sense for who this guy is and what he was actually capable of doing. Um, in general, our advice to people is if someone is trying to either strong arm or armed armed rob you, for lack of a better term, um, if it's just stuff, even if it's expensive stuff, if it's just material possessions or just money, um, you know, you can you can figure that out later. Your life's more important. And I, I stand by that. That's absolutely true. Um, I, I don't I don't love the idea of anybody risking their life over stuff. Part of the problem with that is, you know, when you say, oh, it's just money, it's just a car. Um, if everyone takes that attitude 100% of the time, then criminals just roam free doing whatever they want. You know, there's no there's no accountability. Um, but I, I, I hate to think that something could have happened to you. You could have been shot or or whatever or or even, you know, potentially even worse is you end up in a shootout with this guy and then the, the details are not crystal clear and you end up getting arrested and charged with something. There's a whole road you don't want to go down there. So I think in the end, you were the only one in that room that could read it and make the determination that you, that, that drawing a gun at that point was not a wise idea and that you probably were okay proceeding the way you proceeded. Did I miss anything? Well, <clears throat> yeah, because if you look at the, the, the way everything happened by the moment he pulls a gun on me, I don't have even the bag on me right. to pull it, which is that's the right moment to pull it. If I'm going to pull it, even though I'm drawn from the drop and it's not recommended after that, he pulls it away. After I have my bag on, he pulls it away. So I think even with a gun on me, I wouldn't have drawn my gun, and even after, even even less after, when he pulled it pulled it away, and we were just arguing. I think the moment had passed, and definitely, if I didn't think my life was at risk at the beginning, I didn't feel that my right my life was at risk when he pulled it away. So that came into my mind too. I don't want to get in trouble either, right? For using deadly force when it was not necessary when of course i mean he did pull it and he was still in my office and there's a lot of things that i can eventually demonstrate in court mm -hmm. but i don't want to go through that i right. I don't want to go through that specifically the the the, the criminal part of it and i don't want to go through the psychological part of it so if but at that moment if i if i could anticipate that my life was not a risk i was going to still even if I had it here on my waist or anything, I was still going to keep it there, try to de-escalate. Now, he points it at me. He's still in my office 
running around or walking around or he goes to my warehouse to where my other cars are, that's the moment that I take action because that would have been different. But even if he would have gone outside and take my car away, I let him. I let him do it and and that's it. And that's when I changed my mind I, and I gave him the money that he received. But I guess it was not enough. Yeah, you can't. Some people you cannot please them no matter what you do. Um, I think I speak for everyone in the audience when I say if somebody smokes weed in your re- luxury rental car, the cleanup fee should now be $500. So I want you to go ahead and double that. The next person to smoke and what, hey, if you're renting a car in South Florida, it might be Fernando's place. So you may end up with a $500 fee. How, by the way, how yeah. hard is it? You know, you're enjoying your series South Beach, you know, for the first time. You've watched Miami Vice as a kid. You know, you're excited. You're like, ah, I really want to smoke a cigar. How hard is it to, I don't know, get out of the car and smoke the cigar and then enjoy the sunset? Eh, and then get back not in. about that. And then get back in your Lamborghini. No, I probably not. What would I know? I've been down there. It's been since the 80s. It's about, it's something that they have about the fact that they're driving and smoking. Hmm. And music. It's that connection. I, I completely agree with it. I will go to a mountain. I will go to the, to the beach here in South Beach. I will pick a nice place to do it. Yeah. But there's something about the car going forward and they're looking at it. And, and, and it's something about that. that you just, you just can't hide it. It's just. We we can we can blame Snoop Dogg videos from the '90s, but that was a convertible, so that doesn't really count. I mean, hey, if you're smoking in a convertible, as long as you don't burn the interior, that's one thing. But the minute you're in a hundred thousand dollar Escalade with the you know with barely having the windows, mind cracked, you, I have I have clients that ride my Lamborghinis and Ferraris, and they want to smoke, and they go up front to me, and they want to smoke. I cannot do anything about it because they want to enjoy it, and right. they're being honest with me, and I still run the risk to have a seat burned or something that I won't see at the moment that you return. Right. And even if I see it, I don't think there's money. Sometimes artisans can repair seats and stuff, but sometimes it cannot be repaired at all. It's the original and it's burned and it's done. So I, I even allow them to do it. It's just, uh, there's a fee for it. There's a fee for it. There's a fee for getting it back into the road, cleaning the smell. And if, if you can agree with that fee, you can. You're welcome to come and smoke in my car. So that's fine. Very good. You heard it here first, folks. Fernando, thank you so much for reaching out um, to our viewers and listeners. If you haven't already, do me a favor and consider giving us a rating and a review. We appreciate a five star rating and a review saying either something uh, nice or not nice about the podcast. It doesn't matter to me, but make it productive if it's not nice. At least make it uh, constructive criticism. Uh, we appreciate that. And I, I really appreciate everybody who writes in. Um, and a lot of, like, Fernando's story is not a perfect, you know, he didn't have a showdown at high noon and shoot the bad guy, you know, in the middle of the street. It wasn't this sort of storybook story. It was a, it was a, it was a messy story with messy details and a lot of stuff to think about. But what he has done by coming on the show, in my opinion, is given everybody one more little mental rep. Is it, is it very specific situation, a luxury rental car place? Yeah. But this could pertain to almost any business where there's a dispute over money or over services and somebody decides that they, instead of working it out um, peaceably and civilly or even going to small claims court or whatever, they're going to get in your face or they're going to pull a gun. And what do you do when that happens? And there are the answers aren't as clear as you might think. So if you're getting ready to type hateful comments about how Fernando should have done this and he should have done that, do me a favor. Don't write anything. 
just just take the lessons for what they are and, and if you can apply it to your life great if you can't thanks for listening uh, that's all we have for this week Fernando thanks again for writing in I appreciate it thank you <laughs>